Welcome, everyone, to the first ever episode of the Powder Blues podcast. This is going to be an emphasis on the LA Chargers in this first ever episode, uh, as we're going to look back at the Chargers Chiefs recap of that Thursday night heartbreaking loss. We're going to look at the game balls for the game, who played well offensively and defensively in my mind. We're also going to look at the COVID situation that's not not only taken over the entire NFL, but we're going to specifically look at the Chargers and their next week's opponents, the Texans, how it's affecting those two teams. We're also going to look and discuss all of next week's games, not just Chargers, Texans, as well as look at the playoff picture heading into week 16 of the NFL season. We're going to finish on a fun note, looking back at the bracket of my 64 favorite Chargers of all time since I've been a fan, or since 2008 when I became a fan. So that's kind of the spiel of what this first episode is going to be. Hopefully there will be many, many episodes to come. No promises, though. So, let's get started with that game last Thursday night at SoFi Stadium. The Chargers losing to the Chiefs 34-28 in a game that they had the chance to tie, and because they would have had the tiebreaker with the sweep of the Chiefs, would be in first place in the AFC West right now with the chance to clinch the division title with three weeks to go for the first time since 2009. But, could not do it, and we can really thank ourselves for that happening. I saw uh, an article or on a show the other day, It's and the question was, did the Chiefs win that game or did the Chargers lose it? And I'll tell you right now, I think 100% the Los Angeles Chargers lost that football game. Self-inflicted wounds detrimented this team all night long. And we've heard that story many, many times with the Chargers teams, whether it be this year, last year, Years and years, it's it comes down to just self-inflicting things that this team, the little things that this team is just incapable of doing at tough times. And we saw with, I mean, when you have three empty drives inside your own five-yard line in a game, or inside the opponent's five-yard line, you get there and you can't finish drive three times, not just once in a game, but three times, uh, you should be happy you even made it to overtime. Um, like I said, three times, eight of the nine drives in regulation went into Chiefs territory and did not end in punts. Uh, and I think about six of them ended inside the red zone. And to only put up 28 points is incredibly disappointing. We can thank ourselves. Uh, there's some huge drops in the game. There's a couple turnovers. Just not just not good. And we'll talk first here. We're going to look at a lot of people are really really honing in on Coach Brandon Staley for his decisions to go for it repeatedly on fourth down. And I'll tell you right now, I stand by my coach. Um, For years, Charger fans were asking for a guy that's willing to go for more, to be more aggressive with the great quarterbacks that he's had and Rivers and obviously now Herbie. And now that we have one, when it doesn't go right, fans still find a way to complain. So, I, I mean, there's a lot of these fans that no matter what happens, no matter who's coaching or whatnot or what they do, they're not going to be happy. Because guess what? Two weeks ago on that first drive in Cincinnati, we went right down the field just like we did in Kansas, or versus Kansas City, and we had fourth and goal from the five-yard line. Did we kick the field goal? No. And we got the touchdown, and guess what? Did anybody complain? Did anybody uh, question his decision then? No, because guess what? It paid off, and we executed and and that's kind of my point here is I don't think it was the decisions that to go for it, which was stupid. It was the lack of execution by the players. Uh, we had multiple drops. We on the first opening on that opening possession, we had first and goal. We had a a throwaway, which I mean we should have ran the ball. We ran the ball twice and we got to the five yard line. 
after that big kickoff return by Andre Roberts, who's been one heck of an addition, very, very underrated addition midway through the season, really has helped their special teams. But um, after that throwaway, it was second and goal. Mike Will dropped one in the end zone. Then Mike Will again dropped one in the end zone. And then obviously on fourth and goal, uh, Donald Parham, uh, bless chicken Parham. I hope he's doing all right. Uh, couldn't hang on to the ball. And that's, I'm not saying that was a drop. Obviously, we know why it happened. Horrible situation there. But still, I mean, the the play was there. The touchdown should have happened. We just did not execute. Then I look at, at the end of the half. Um, again, we had third and goal, or was it second and goal? Jared Cook, the perfect play design, wide open, can't catch, can't corral the ball. And we've seen that time and time again for Cook, whether it be dropping the ball or it be not being set up or not, or as we've seen a legal shift in the Dallas game and other games with him, when it comes down to the goal line or big situations is too many mental errors, mental lapses with Jared Cook this season. And then the next play, Keenan would have been open too, but uh, the defender got his hand up, made a nice play and batted it down. So again, if we execute, that's seven more points. So we don't even have to worry about kicking a field goal or not. And we're sitting here saying, wow, Brandon Staley trusts his team. And he knows what he's doing, and look at because of that, they want to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Because again, you don't win, you don't beat teams like the Kansas City Chiefs. You don't win division titles kicking field goals all the time. Uh, the only one that I would question was probably the first, first or second possession of the second half. We went down. We had fourth and two at about the twenty-eight yard line. I thought we should have kicked the field goal then, just because at that point, and I do understand people's points with it when it comes down to this, that once it doesn't work a couple times, then after a while, maybe you got to switch. You kind of kind of play it how the game's going as far as going for it or whatever on fourth down. And we went for it and we didn't get it there. That was the only one that I kind of griped about. But other than that, uh, I stand by my coach. I love his aggressiveness. And like I said, I'll take that in any day of the week, guy that trusts his players and believes in the great quarterback that we have, putting the ball in his hands and not our defense's hands, which we've seen hasn't turned out too great like it did this week. Um, instead of what we've seen years and years, you know, I mean, look at last year, we had fourth and one in overtime against the Chiefs. We punted the ball to Patrick Mahomes that went down, kicked the game-winning field goal. So I'll take this a million times over stuff like that any day. And fans who disagree are, are going to sit here and hate on Staley, like I said, are the same ones that would hate on Anthony Lynn when he would be uh, very passive and Mike McCoy as well. So they're just they're just fans that are never happy. They'll, they find a way to gripe about everything. So don't take their opinions worth anything. So, yeah, I mean, it was a self-inflicted game. Uh, we saw the fumble at the one by Josh Kelly. Uh, we had a bad at pass that resulted in a pick. Those couple turnovers. We did force a couple turnovers ourselves. Uh, we did a great job. I didn't think the defense played terrible until the fourth quarter. I thought the defense played actually very well through three quarters. Uh, that one goal line stand we had of our, we had one of ourselves uh, was very good. Obviously, Mahomes missed a really easy throw. Uh, that probably was, would have resulted in a touchdown in that fourth and one. But still, the defense came to play, and they've done it time and time again, actually, this year when it came down to goal situations. We implemented that bend but don't break kind of style or mantra, and that that comes through in big situations like that many times this year. So I'm proud of the defense through three quarters. I thought we once again got good pressure. I think just the difference was the Derwin James injury. I mean, you look at Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill putting up a combined 339 yards. Obviously, Kelsey catching the game winner. Uh, He doesn't have that game-winning touchdown or that 69-yard catch that resulted in the game-tying drive to tie it at 21 earlier in the fourth. If Derwin is guarding him and is in the football game, uh, we saw he only had one catch, I think, for, I believe, seven yards uh, with Derwin in. And once Derwin got out, his hammy once again 
was bothering him, which I agree he should have been taken out. He put up nine for 184 and two touchdowns, including the game winner, as I said. So Derwin James being out, I think if you we get this team in the playoffs and a guy like Derwin James is going to be healthy and ready to go and Asante Samuel as well, um, Kansas City should not want to play us, and I will be very confident going into that football game. So, yeah, a tough game, and at this point I think we're – we can just say we're going for a wild card berth. Obviously, good news. We control our own destiny as far as that goes. Uh, but we're two games back at Kansas City. We would win the tiebreaker. Well, it, it's actually kind of a interesting dynamic there. I'll talk more once we get to the playoff picture part of this episode. Um, but yeah, like I said, they're 10-4. The number one in the AFC won seven in a row, which I do not believe that team's nowhere near that good. And I think... The fact that we should have absolutely dominated on Thursday shows, in my mind, at least. And I'm I'm definitely not scared of that team, and I want them again. And I, I, I hope every Charger fan, every Charger fan should feel like that um, around the world. So we're going to go, I'm going to go to my game balls. And for offense, it wasn't just one person, it was five. And that was the offensive line. I am so proud of the offensive line. Obviously, I think you, if you were to give it to one person, I'd probably go Trey Pipkins. Uh, you talk about a guy that, has had a lot of criticism flow his way. Uh, drafted third round pick out of Sioux Falls back in was a 2019. Uh, obviously, has not played near the potential we saw. He was drafted as a project. Um, I mean, he's a guy from Sioux Falls, so it, it was like I said, it was a project pick. He wasn't expected to come in day one like a guy like Rashawn Slater. Um, but even I mean, he hasn't progressed at all, really. And finally, this first time he's really had any game action all year as Slater has just been a hammer, a nail at left tackle. And we saw Storm Norton fill in at right tackle, who gets better every week as well for Brian Belaga, who has really just disappeared off the face of the earth. And he played incredibly well. There was not one time, and I kind of look at how an offensive lineman plays based on how much I say their name in a game or I notice them in a game. Because if, if they're doing their job, you don't notice. You're just like, oh, yeah, he's, he's blocking well. But if you, you see when he makes mistakes. It's sad to say, but it's true. When you watch film, then you can see the good stuff, the more of the good stuff. Uh, and I did not say Trey Pipkin's name one time all game. Uh, so credit to Trey Pipkin's and the entire offense line. Only six pressures allowed all game long. I think the worst play we could argue was the fact that the when the ball got tipped in the air and Herbie had a pick. Uh, due to a defensive lineman getting their hands up. Other than that, I thought the offensive line was absolutely incredible. We had 4.9 yards per carry. We ran for almost 200 yards, 192 yards on the ground. Uh, everybody who came in, Ack, JJ, Justin Jackson looked terrific. Herbie had some good scampers. Uh, obviously, Josh Kelly had that fumble. But other than that, I thought he had some good carries as well. But I'm very proud of the offensive line. very pleased with them. I'd give them – I thought they were the best offensive unit of the day for sure. Defensively, I'm going to go with Chen and Nwosu. Now, this is a man that's starting to find himself. Uh, he's finally been thrust into a starting role this season, asked to step up big time with Melvin Ingram out, obviously, and really did not go off to a great start. Uh, I've always believed in Chen. He's always been big plays. We saw his rookie year when he ended the game and the wild card game in Baltimore. Uh, but he's starting to find himself. He had a big sack at the end of the game against Pittsburgh. Uh, had his first multi-sack game a couple weeks ago against Cincinnati. And he played terrific. We saw the huge pick he had set us up at the one yard of the right after the Josh Kelly fumble. We ended up scoring the next play to make it 21-13 early in the fourth. Um, but he had multiple plays that game. I mean, he was due. Uh, he had, I think it was two tip passes before that, where I was like, okay, Chenny almost had it. And then he finally 
finally he was able to snatch it, put it in the air, and make a play on it. So he's played impressive three weeks. I thought the D-line again as a whole stepped up again against the run. Uh, twenty. They had 4.3 yards per carry, but if you look at it, ten. that was with Mahomes getting 10 yards a carry, and he always runs good against us. I don't know why. The running backs only had 44 yards and 12 carries. The run defense is stepping up. I'm really – I've been more pleased with them by far, more than the pass defense lately, and I think all Charger fans that watch the games religiously, like myself, would agree. Um, so I, I – I hate when the media, every time you go into these games and they still bring up a run defense, because if you look at the actual stats, the way we stepped up and the way we've unbelievably improved against the run, it's it's not no longer I look at as a huge weakness of this team. I'd say the pass defense is definitely a lot weaker part. So, yeah, that was the recap of the Chargers-Chiefs game. But it, but likewise for the team, it's time to move on. It's time to get ready to, to win out here with the focus first being initially all the way on Houston uh, for Sunday's game right after Christmas. Uh, the next part, we're going to look at the Chargers COVID situation. COVID is rapidly going through the league. I mean, we saw where we had the situation we had last year where games were had to, had to be moved to Monday and Tuesday night. I uh, would not be surprised if that ha- continually happens in the weeks, upcoming weeks. Uh, I'm not going to discuss my thoughts on, you know, COVID and all that stuff. Cause it's just, it's stupid, but we're not going to get there. Um, but yeah, we've been a team that's really hurt. I saw today, uh, Brandon cooks for Houston. So they're another, they are also being hurt by it, but obviously we've seen, we've kind of got hampered big time. Corey Lindsley still out. We saw Slater didn't have Slater last week. Uh, he's back at least. Um, but Joey Bosa and come on Hill officially out Sunday. Um, Austin Eckler was put on, was placed on COVID-19 list today. Hopefully Eck will be able to go. If not, uh, Justin Jackson really performed well last week. I I believe in JJ. I think it should be only his backfield because Kelly has too many fumbling problems and he misses a hole too much. I'd actually have Roundtree as a backup. If anything, even Darius Bradlow, if you want a bigger back. If Eck is not able to go, um, the secondaries hit hard. Trey Marshall also has it. So, yeah, not fun at all uh the injuries aren't too bad though uh looked only five players on the injury list today derwin did not practice again with the hammy i would be fine leaving him out another week um obviously chicken parm donald parm concussion did not practice obviously his health and safety number one there i'm not worried about i'm not going to sit there and stare too much at uh chicken parm's um injury report as far as that's concerns uh, Eloy Gilman was back full practice today. He's been out the last couple weeks. Uh, even if, if Derwin can go, can't go, just having that safety depth at all is better. Uh, Trey Marshall, I love that he's been able to step up and step into that role, but he just does not have the lateral quickness or the uh, really the smarts, I think, to play the position in a starting role. And we saw that as Kelsey absolutely dominated him. Uh, he's, I mean, it's not his fault. I, nobody's Derwin James. He's it's you can't just go in and replace the best safety of football just like the best safety in football just like that. Um, but Alohi, I think, is a, a kind of an underrated player. He had he's had his troubles. We saw in the Viking game when he ran into Derwin, allowed that touchdown, stuff like that. But he's also made big plays. Had the really the game winning pick against Kansas City in Kansas City, gave us the ball back offensively. We ended up scoring one of the game. So it's going to be nice to have him back. Uh, Linville Joseph was put on the injury report. He played last week, obviously. He full practice and Asante. This is a great sign. He had a full practice day. 
I believe he's still in concussion protocol. Uh, reporter Daniel Popper, I thought Pop said a couple of days ago, I haven't seen him report anything that he's out. Uh, but he did practice full today, though, so that's a good news. Uh, the Texans, looks like their report's pretty limited as well. Uh, no David Johnson. Other than that, uh, guys like Justin Reed, Lonnie Johnson in the secondary, Brevin Jordan, a good rookie tight end. They were at practice today, and so I'm guessing they will be good to go. We'll see more tomorrow. Hopefully, like I said, Eck will be back and whatnot. But we will have to see. Uh, and... With that being said, I'm going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back to discuss more about next week's games. All right, welcome back to the Powder Blues. Now, we're going to discuss the NFL playoff picture. Literally, like, my favorite thing in the entire world to do, maybe outside of make college basketball brackets, which we will get to later in the year uh, as college basketball starts getting towards March Madness more uh, and football season gets over. But, I mean, like last week, while a lot of people were out there studying for their exams, I was studying the NFL playoff picture. Um, I mean, it's it's a religious, religiously look at it. Year after year, I make my predictions, whatnot. The NFL playoff machine on ESPN, I love it. The new playoff predictors website that they have, they came out with a couple of years ago. It's a blessing. Uh, and it's it's absolute mayhem in both the AFC, more, the, more so the AFC as far as a whole. I mean, because... Do we know? Nobody has any idea who the best team in the AFC is at this point. Nobody. They may say they they may think they do or say they know. They don't. And it's in the AFC. As long as you get in, uh, you have a chance to win the Super Bowl or go to the Super Bowl in my life. The NFC. It's more just about uh, the divisional structure or the uh, the structure of seedings as far as divisional winners. Um, the NFC West is actually the only division really up for grabs as. Now the Cardinals and the Rams are tied after Arizona's shocking loss to Detroit. Back-to-back loss, loss to the Rams on Monday night a couple nights ago. They do control their own destiny in the conference as they would finish 5-1 better than the Rams who had a loss at, or in San Francisco. So they do control their own destiny to win the NFC West, but they have a tough Indianapolis team at home. Then they go at Dallas. And then they get Seattle, who could be trying to play spoiler. Um, and it could be Russell Wilson's last game in a Seattle uniform, so he may want to go out with a bang. So, yeah, I mean, craziness, craziness. Uh, we'll look first at the AFC as far as just we'll just look, go over all the teams that have still have chances and whatnot. Uh, three teams eliminated, the Jets, Texans, and Jaguars, so they do not matter. And the game that does not matter at all, Jacksonville versus Jets in New York. The Jets have a lot of COVID problems, so maybe the Jags can get their third one of the year. Uh, they probably don't want to, actually, as they have the first pick right now in the draft with Detroit's win last weekend. Uh, so if you're the Jag, if I'm a Jag fan, I'm cheering for us at this point just to win. I know Trevor, maybe you wanted to see Trevor Lawrence win some games. Like, we saw Herbie win four in a row, and that's started to, or that was kind of a, uh, big for his his kind of mindset. I feel like going into this year, you know, showing getting, gaining more confidence, winning more football games. So it can be a good thing as well. Um, but I mean, we're we're a lot closer coming into this year as to being a contender than than the Jacksonville Jaguars were. I mean, that team is still ways away in my mind. Uh, and starts obviously who's going to be their next head coach is the biggest decision they'll have to make. But anyway, so let's. Who cares about the Jaguars? The Jets? Who cares? Let's be honest there. 
uh, even though it's Trevor Lawrence for Zach Wilson, the first two picks in the draft, say, you know, COVID problems happened with those two. Um, other than that, meh. But anyways, AFC, uh, divisional leaders right now, Kansas City stands alone at 10-4. and four. New England and Tennessee are both 9-5. and five. And Cincinnati leads. They have the tiebreak as they won in Baltimore earlier this season at eight and six over the Ravens. Uh, the Steelers at seven six and one. Browns seven and seven. So all teams in the AFC North are still in the playoff picture. In the picture to win the division. Uh, Cincinnati, like I said, controls their own destiny. Actually, Baltimore and Cincinnati. They play this week. They play a massive game this weekend. We'll go over it when we make our picks. Uh, we'll talk about that more. But those teams control their destiny. Cleveland does not. Or Cleveland, no, they do not. They they lost this weekend or else they would as well. Uh, they would actually win at first and said they're in last with that tough loss against the Las Vegas Raiders on a game-winning field goal by Daniel Carlson in the closing seconds. So those are your division leaders at the moment. And then all at 8-6, and six, it goes Indy, the Chargers, and the Buffalo Bills, and the AFC with the Ravens, the first team out at 8-6 and six due to a lesser conference record. They actually lose on a common win percentage versus opponents with Buffalo as both are five and five against the AFC as well. Uh, and then Pittsburgh seven, six and one a game and a or half game back games back are the Raiders and the Dolphins, as well as the Browns and Broncos three or all four teams at seven and seven Denver and Cleveland are a little bit in trouble as they are under 500 against the AFC. So, I mean, it's, it looks like it's going to come down to a tie break and unlike Head-to-head tie breaks, it looks like it's going to come down to about, you know, three-way ties, which in that case, it goes to the conference record and whatnot. And in that case, those teams are in a lot of trouble. Uh, As for the NFC, the Green Bay Packers, the first and only team so far to clinch a spot in the playoffs. Uh, 11-3, they won the NFC North for, what, the third year in a row uh, under Matt LaFleur. Very underrated coach in my mind, but at this point, is Green Bay scared to finish with three losses? Back-to-back seasons, they went 13-3 with LeFleur at the helm, have resulted in NFC Championship losses. So maybe if you're the Packers, you almost purposely want to lose a fourth or another game here at the end of the year just just cause. Or maybe it's the 13th win threshold. So maybe if they went out and finished 14-3, now it's a 17-game season. So maybe if you do that, maybe then you'll get to the Super Bowl. Maybe so maybe it's the curse of thirteen wins. Um char- as a charter fan, we went thirteen and three two thousand nine, we lost in the division round. So maybe maybe it's the thirteen win curse. Who knows? But anyways, Green Bay looks very good. Uh obviously one on a you know very in the closing seconds, Baltimore for the second time in three weeks going for two, did not get it to lose. Tough, tough blow for the Ravens who were winning those kind of games all year long earlier in the year. I mean it, they were, when they were eight and three, it was a team like this isn't an eight and three team. They they could have easily lost in Indy, Detroit. They won on a magical field goal. Kansas City, uh, there was a fumble at the end of the game. They end up winning that game. Minnesota kind of blew it, Viking style. Bears they had a game winning drive. Cleveland was a low scoring fight. So they were a team where it was like they're really not as good as the record shows. And maybe that's just kind of those close games and whatnot are starting to get to them now, and it's starting to even out a little bit as they've lost. Three in a row, and their schedule is daunting to finish the year. And that's what, when I did my preseason predictions, uh, I've kind of gone similar to how I had the team. I had them at 9-2 and two instead of at 8-3, and three, and then I had them losing five in a row before winning the final week to solidify their spot as the seventh and final team in the AFC, and uh, barely making the playoffs. I just didn't think they'd have as good a year. And, I mean, here they're 8-3 and three and have now lost three in a row. So if they do lose five in a row, 9-8 and eight is not going to get you into this year, I don't think. 
I don't I don't see any possibility, especially if they're six and six or even worse, five and seven um against the AFC, there's there's no way. Um I see Baltimore getting in at that point. But yes, Green Bay, very good. They stand alone in the NFC. Looking for the second straight year to get that first round by and home field at Lambeau Field. I, I feel really good about this team. I feel better about them this year than I did last year. Uh Rodgers is Rodgers. Devontae Adams is Devontae Adams. And that defense has shown more flashes, in my opinion, than previous seasons. So I'm feeling really good about the Packers' chances uh, to be at SoFi Stadium in February. And then after that, it's a three-way tie. Dallas, Tampa, and Arizona at 10-4. Arizona was looking like a lock to be on, really, that first-round buyer, at very least the two-seed. Definitely the NFC West champs. And like we said before, they are now tied with the Los Angeles Rams at 10-4 and four, uh, with that terrible loss to Detroit, lost to the Rams the week before. So they're in a tight race divisional-wise. Uh, those teams would actually play each other in the 4-5 matchup in the wildcard round, wildcard weekend, if the season ended today. Uh, Dallas wins that tiebreaker. Once again, it comes down to conference record because Tampa might have beat them head-to-head, but Dallas is 8-1. and They decided to screw us by losing to every other team the AFC West but us. Uh, well, they really didn't. They Technically, they didn't beat us either. The refs, uh, the officiating gave them that game. But uh, what can you do about it? Nothing, sadly. So, yeah, the Dallas, great conference record is really going to help them out in tiebreaker scenarios unless it's just head-to-head tie with Tampa. Then they lose out. And they play. They have a chance to get another. They play Arizona in two weeks, obviously, at um, in Arlington. So, in Jerry World. So that would be a massive game as far as NFC uh, seeding wise goes. Cardinals still trying to wrap up the division. Cowboys. They win one game. They got the division title on lock, as well as Tampa Bay, who couldn't had the chance against New Orleans. Couldn't do. Couldn't get the job done. But I think they will. I. Pretty confident, even with all the injuries. I mean, look at their schedule. Two games against Carolina sandwiched in is the Jets. Yeah, there's no way they lose out in New Orleans. New Orleans could win out, but that would be quite the choke choke show. It'd be like Broncos 2008 when they were 8-4. and four, Chargers were 4-8. and eight. Chargers end up rolling all the way back. We blew them out in the final game. Um, and Week 17 took the division title at 8-8. Eight and eight. Don't see that happening. San Fran, or... Anyways, now it's time to look at uh, wild card seedings. Like we said, the Rams are ten and four. Uh, the Niners eight and six. The Rams can clinch a spot with a win this weekend in Minnesota, who has that seven spot right now in a three way tie with the Eagles and Saints. Neither none of the the Eagles beat the Saints. Minnesota did not play either team though, uh, and will not play either team. And and so it all comes down again to conference record. And in there, it's very tight. Uh, Philadelphia and Minnesota are both five and four. So they're done. So no matter what Philly or Minnesota would win the tiebreaker over Philly, I believe no matter what happens as far as the three way, three games go, when it comes down to it, because a common win percentage, like we said, Eagles win tiebreak head to head with new Orleans, uh, new Orleans, Minnesota is a little bit more confusing. If I remember going through this, I think new Orleans has that tiebreak over the Vikings. Uh, right now they're five and five, like we said. Minnesota five and four against the conference. They play Miami, the final team in the AFC this weekend. So that's that's kind of confusing. I like where the Niners are at at eight and six. I think the Niners they have a tough schedule, but I I I think they're gonna get back. Or well, they have the Texans, and then if they if they can win either game against New Orleans or Tennessee 
or the Rams in Week 18. They'll be a playoff team as well. Um, but that seven spot's very – it's going to come down to the wire. Vikings got a tough schedule. They get uh, the Rams at home, then they have to go at Green Bay. Chicago should be a win to end the year. But they have to win one of these two games. If, nine and eight probably does it. But I don't know. New Orleans could win out. Dolphins, Panthers at home in at, Atlanta. Uh, they could end the year with a five-game win streak and get in at 10-7. and seven. I could see it. Uh, Washington's in trouble. Only a game back them and the Falcons. But both teams have tough games. They've lost the last couple weeks. I don't see either of these teams getting in, um, but you never know. Carolina, Seattle, and the Giants are all not officially eliminated, but in retrospect, more they they're just playing for pride at this point. It's sitting at five and nine, and if you're the Giants, four and ten. So they need a lot to happen. I've seen crazier, but I just it probably won't. So that's kind of the look at the playoff picture. Now it's kind of it's time to discuss the games and see how this picture is going to be restructured afterwards. Starting with tomorrow night's game against our this episode might have to be published on Thursday. So maybe today's tonight's game uh, between the Niners, the 49ers and the Titans. This one is huge. Tennessee, uh, Derrick Henry could be back soon. And man, did they miss him one and three in their last four. The offense just hasn't been the same. And you can argue that it's been uh, the struggles with Julio not even, not only staying healthy, but just play-wise as well as A.J. Brown's health. That has hurt Tannehill as much as uh, Derrick Henry's been being out. Uh, lost a heartbreaker to Pittsburgh at a 10 nothing lead early in that game. Couldn't win it. So like I said, 1-3. and three, They're only a game up on the Colts. Luckily, though, it's basically two games since they swept them in the season series. So they, they do have room for error divisional-wise. Um, and this, would, this, this game would really... Really put them in good position. Obviously, they could clinch it with a win, and then Indy's got a tough game against an Arizona team who now needs a win pretty bad. So that's they could win the division this week, or they could be tied and be in a tough place to even just um, clinch a playoff spot. And in my opinion, I am going to go with San Francisco. Uh, I know Eli Mitchell's out, but I really like the way the Niners are playing. Uh, I trust Debo Samuel in that backfield just as well. And George Kittle is rolling right now. The Niners look good. Uh, winners of their five of their past six, and I think it's going to be six of seven. They get a big win on Thursday night on the road, and that pretty much puts them in the playoffs. Uh, then we get to Saturday's two games. Hopefully these stick. Last week we saw Cleveland was supposed to play the Raiders on uh, Saturday night, ended up being a Monday matinee game. But here they are playing Saturday, and honestly, that hurts them because now they have two less days that they would have had against a very, very, very good Packers team who, again, is still playing for seating or is playing for all their seating. They might have the North, but they want home field at Lambeau Field, and I expect them to come out winning. Cleveland's going to be in tough, a tough spot at 7-8 and eight at this point. I don't see them making the playoffs, so that's a tough loss for the Browns. Cardinals, Colts, huge game Saturday night, and I'll be honest, I can't trust Arizona right now. Uh, they proved me wrong a lot of times early in the year. I picked against them against, you know, uh, the Rams, against Cleveland on the road. And they proved me wrong. But right now, I don't know. It's just tough for me to trust their team. I'm not sure if Kyler Murray is still 100%. D-Hop being out for the rest of the regular season hurts. They're not in position to where they're going to miss the playoffs. But they 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 still got to, you know, win a game here to clinch. Uh, it's still spooky. And I think a huge win for Indy. Uh, the, with a win, they, I think they pretty much solidify their spot. They finish with the Raiders at home and at Jacksonville, and they have a great record 
at seven and three against the AFC. So they're going to win a lot of tie breaks unless it comes down to like head to head against Baltimore since they lost that heartbreaker on Monday Night Football. But other than that, they're in very good position. Um, I think the Colts with a win, they're they're in the playoffs for sure, and they're they're going to be tied with Tennessee now in in the division. Now let's go to Sunday's noon game, starting with a well. Actually, let's just start. I'm just going to have the Jets beat the Jaguars. Who cares? I'm not going to talk. Waste my time. Waste breath talking about that game or those teams. Baltimore, Cincinnati. Talk about a big one. Uh, tied in the AFC North right now at eight and six. Cincinnati dominated the Ravens earlier this season in Baltimore, forty-one seventeen, uh, behind a huge passing attack with Jamar Chase. We saw CJ Uzama. I had him in fantasy that week. Came to play for me. Not going to lie. I was. That was nice to see. Ah, man. Uh, I don't know if Lamar Jackson's going to be good to go, but Tyler Huntley was really impressive last week against Green Bay himself. Uh, I always liked him at Utah. was undrafted product a couple of years ago. I just think Baltimore's going to be playing with their heads on fire. I don't know why. I feel like they're, they're upset. I don't think they are that great of a team. I don't think they're anywhere. I think they're a wild card losing team, even if they win the division. But I just have a feeling they're going to go into Cincinnati and play really well and win this game. I don't know what it is, but something's telling me they're going to they're going to play well and they're going to win. And tough loss for the Bengals. they got a tough schedule finishing at uh, against the Chiefs and at Cleveland. Uh, so Baltimore with a huge win, um, especially because even with this win, they would lose in tiebreak scenarios with Cincinnati since the Bengals would still be 3-2 and two to their 2-3 and three in the divisional-wise. So they... So, I mean, they have to win. If they want any chance, really, at the division, they probably have to win this game. No question. Especially with a closing schedule of the Rams and Steelers at home. So not all, no games by any means were Baltimore's locked in to win. And really, in the NFL this year, no team is. Like, this week with us playing the Houston Texans, I'm in no way going in this game thinking, oh, we're for sure going to win this football game. You know, a lot of fans are saying, like, we're going to win out easily. That's, that's... Let's keep the focus on Houston fellas. I mean, look at a week ago. Detroit somehow stuns Arizona. Uh, Tennessee's lost game to the Jets and at home to the Houston Texans. Uh, Buffalo went into Jacksonville and lost. There's no such thing as an easy or as an automatic win in the NFL this year, especially when you factor in COVID and all that's the problems that can that can cause players being out and everything. Oof. I, I'm scared myself. So, yeah, I've. You can't give anybody an automatic W this year. And I think that's the beauty of the NFL this season. I mean, it's probably the most unpredictable NFL season I can remember in my lifetime. And that makes it all the more exciting. Now, another, another huge game, division implications-wise. Buffalo at New England. Patriot win, and they win the division again. They're back at the top of the reign of the AFC East, just like old times after a year hiatus. But I don't know. Uh, Buffalo, I feel like Buffalo kind of found themselves again. Uh, it's been a tough sledding. Started really good at 4-1 and one, other than that opening opening loss against Pittsburgh at home. But they've been really back and forth, kind of like the Chargers, very inconsistent, like a lot of teams in the AFC specifically, very inconsistent. Um, but they fought hard in the second half against Tampa. I thought I was very impressed with Josh Allen coming back. They looked good against Carolina last week. They have a very easy schedule. They finish with Atlanta and the Jets at home. So they win this game. They be, they basically win the division. There's, I don't see them losing one of those home games with a chance to win it because they would win the tiebreaker. I think they do it. Uh, New England hasn't been great at home this year, only 3-4, and four, and that's with winning their last three after an 0-4 start. 
uh, when they were two and four overall. But I, I just, I just don't see the Patriots sweeping them. I don't know what it is. I, I think Buffalo's kind of got themselves back on track a little bit. I hope the Patriots win, as far as Chargers' sake, because we obviously we lost. New England's got a better conference record, and they beat us head to head. So we don't. They would take us out if it comes down to us to fighting for a spot in the playoffs. So I hope Buffalo doesn't win, but I think they will. And puts both teams in nine and six. Both teams have schedules, very winnable final two games. I think Buffalo's going to win the division. Uh, Chargers, Texans, like we talked earlier, I think we're going to win for sure. I just don't see any way we lose. I really don't. It could happen. Like as a Charger fan, I mean, that's what I have a problem. Like it was like two weeks ago against the Giants. And yes, we did end up winning and we dominated really. But I hate when fans kind of look at games like, oh, I'd rest these guys and save them for next week's game. Like, I mean, fellas, you're a Los Angeles Charter fan. You should know by now no game is a guaranteed win. I mean, I mean, these these fans obviously weren't here the years that we lost the 0-14 Browns. Or, geez, I'm trying to think of some. There's There's been some, I mean, just some bad games. I mean, let's, we had uh, Kansas City week 17 to get in the playoffs. We stunk it up. Um we lost to Denver at home that one year. We could have, we would have won the division 2018. We did that. I mean, as a Charger fan, if you're going into a game 100% expecting to win, I mean, I'm a confident guy. I, I do believe we're going to win the Super Bowl every year for whatever reason. Uh, but at the same time, I don't I don't go in just thinking, oh, we, we can rest whoever we want against these opponents because that's just not who we are. We haven't proven to be that team. And really, this year, nobody has. So we got to be ready to go. And I expect us to, and I expect us to go and win a game. Uh, obviously, a couple more days rest helps as well. Big Daddy Slate will be back. Hopefully, Lindsley will be back. Those guys get healthy back at it. I'm excited. I'm ready to go, and I'm ready to see us win a game. Guyton was also put on COVID today too, but all that means is more reps for my guy, Josh Palmer. So we're not too mad about it. Even though Guyton has scored a touchdown three straight after not scoring the first, uh, whatever, 11 games of the year. He's, he's got hot. Staying with the noon games, now we go to the NFC side, though. Philly and the Giants. I'm going to go Philly. Uh, I like the way the Eagles have really fought back. They really, they did not look good. I did not expect a lot out of this team before the year, so I was not surprised about their 2-5 and five start. But the way that their run game, and it's just kind of crazy how Miles Sanders, your best back on your team coming out, led to them getting the run going. Like, I mean, what? That's like if, the, that's like if Tennessee, Derrick Henry goes down, they start running for 400 a game or something, right? It just doesn't make any sense. Um, but credit to the Eagles, credit to Nick Sirianni, first-year head coach, former Charger OC, or uh, yeah, Charger wide receiver coach, not OC. He was the OC with Indy. But um, credit to him and his team. They really fought back. They have a cra- The NFC West, East is kind of crazy. Every team basically plays each other down the stretch. Like Philly here plays four straight, five of six to end, or last games are in their division. Uh, Washington's last five are in the division. Dallas's last four of their last five, five of their last six are in the division. Or four of their last five, sorry. Uh, and then the Giants, not that anybody cares about the Giants. Um, well, they don't really. They have three of their last four, so a little bit less. But no, it's just crazy. It really is a crazy dynamic. Everybody's playing everybody. I love it. I wish it was a little bit closer, um, kind of like last year. Because, I mean, that would just be mayhem. Like, if the AFC North was like that this year, which it kind of is, I mean, Cincinnati still plays B-more in Cleveland. Uh, Baltimore, like I said, they play the Bengals. They also get Pittsburgh and stuff like that. But I wish it was just like a 
complete madhouse. Like each team played each other twice to end the year here, like both their matchups or something. That'd just be, that'd be sick. I'm not gonna lie, I'd I'd be pumped. Um, because that's what the East is, and credit to it. I I think they probably project. They thought the NFC was gonna be like that. I I did. Uh, I'm the idiot that had the Giants win the division. I had I'd have a bold take, and I I don't know. I like what they had. They added offensively, and I thought Daniel Jones was gonna have a decent year. Well, he didn't have a terrible year. That he made somewhat strides. He's not the guy, but I I really thought I didn't think Kenny Galladay would be out all year. I thought Kadarius Tony would not be hurt all year. I think in the future, if this team can get a quarterback, they'd be very scary. But we say that about a lot of teams, you know. Especially the Giants. We say that about the Bears every year. And look at the Bears got a quarterback in the fields. And they're still terrible. So, who knows, man. Who knows. But I'm going to go Philly at home. Giants officially would be eliminated. Uh, and the Eagles are at 8-7. and seven, uh, Depending on what Minnesota does in their game against the Rams. They might be in a playoff spot. Atlanta, Detroit. How are the, I, I don't get how the Falcons are still around in the playoff hunt. I feel like they're just so random. Like, I, I feel like nobody... If the Falcons made the playoffs, nobody in the world would have any idea how the Falcons got there. Like, we'd be like, we'd be saying to ourselves, what do the Falcons do well enough to, that they're a playoff team? And I don't think anybody would answer that question. I mean, seriously, I'm not trying to hate on I actually like, I'm a huge Matty Ice guy. Julio's one of my favorite players of all time. Um, And I like the Kyle Pitts edition. But I, I don't know, man. Like, they're just weird. Like, they play, they're always playing at noon against teams like Detroit, Carolina, they played Jacksonville a couple weeks ago, and they, and they win those games. You're like, oh, yeah, I guess the Falcons won today. You know, I the only Falcons fan to know is my great friend Aaron Grubb. And he's not like a crazy diehard where it's like his life depends on it like I do with the Chargers. So it's not like, you know, you hear about him a lot either. But I, I don't know. I don't mean to hate on the Atlanta Falcons. And if you're a Falcons fan listening, I'm sorry. But I don't know. Just make yourself more relevant or something. You know, like, even if you have to hire, like, an Urban Meyer-type guy or sign a guy like that, just makes stupid headlines, just do it. Just make yourself more fun. You know, maybe maybe then the 28-3 jokes will go. Maybe then the joke will be about, I don't know, Urban Meyer, like an Urban Meyer situa- situation. That's got to be better than 28-3. Yeah, I want the Falcons to be back. They used to be one of my favorite, most exciting teams to watch, and it just hasn't been the case in a while. So, please, Atlanta Falcons supremacy, come back. As for this week, I'm going to pick them over Detroit because every time I pick the Lions this year, they don't win. I picked them both times against the Bears. I picked them what the else? I picked them like against Philly. Uh, I, I think I picked them against like Cincinnati or something dumb too. But I I don't want to pick the Lions. I love what the Lions are doing, and they are a sneaky team that could head for a playoff spot next year. Yes, I said that right. Next year, uh, I love Dan Campbell beyond words. But at this point, who cares? Uh, you're losing games. You're getting a good pick. You're going to get. You know, Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, who knows what you're going to get. You're just going to make that team better. So it's all right. Lose on purpose. Tampa, Carolina, Tampa, I think it's going to – I'd like to say blow them, blow them out of the water, but then again, no Chris no Chris Godwin, no Leonard Fournette, maybe no Mike Evans and Antonio Brown. Oh, man, I I heard for him. That's a, it's tough. Uh, Tampa's a weird team. It's, it's kind of a team you have to rethink – uh, picture why, like how they're going to be and stuff like that with all those injuries. I, they're hard to predict now, but I don't see them losing to a, just a bad Carolina team, man. Hey, 
very disappointed in the Panthers season. That was another team I thought Sam Darnold was going to improve. I thought the only thing I was going to stop them from making a playoff for Adam going 8-9 was, was their kind of their tougher schedule uh, going into the season at least. But no, it's they started off looking that way 2-3-0, and they, it just has not been good. Uh, I'm going to go Tampa on the road. They Buccaneers officially win the NFC North. Minnesota stuns the Rams. It's my big upset. I feel like the Vikes just just kind of win the game. Just the game the Vikings win just cause. Just just because the Vikes like to sit around. They like to, you know, give their fans more and more heartbreaks. They can, they're like the same as the Chargers. They, they bring it down as close to the wire as they can just to make it the most painful type, you know, missing the playoffs or t- t- pain, most painful type loss ever. They just, as much, as high on on the paying rating as they can go, they'll they'll find a way. Uh, so they'll win over the Rams, and they'll be 8-7, and seven, be tied with Duane, or Philly and possibly New Orleans still in that seventh spot. I think Seattle beats Chicago. Game doesn't really matter. I think Dallas, Sunday nighter, dominate, or beats Washington. I love what Washington did. They got back one four in a row. Riverboats, one of my favorite coaches in the league. Very tough loss against Philly with a lot of players out a week ago, and that kind of sealed it for them, and this, this really officially does it. Uh, Kansas City, Pittsburgh, I'd love, as, as long as we win, I'd love to see Pittsburgh win to give, our, give ourselves still somewhat of a bleak chance to win the division. But, ah, Kansas City. And if anything, that takes Pittsburgh kind of out of the wild card picture, so that's also okay. Denver and the Raiders. I think Denver's going to bounce back on the road. I know it might be Drew Lockett quarterback, but the Raiders are really a seesaw team this year. You really don't know what to expect out of the Raiders it feels like it's either a 30 point loss or it's just some tight win over a team that's in the hunt or the playoffs are going to be in the playoffs I mean they have I think what the best strength of victory in the league at uh 553 they have four wins against or teams over 500 so they beat a lot of good teams this year um but the Raiders are the Raiders so I think the Broncos win. Both teams going at seven and seven. This is kind of this that's an elimination game. The loser of that's done. You're gonna have eight losses at minimum. You're gonna be out. Uh both charters obviously played both those two to end the year. I think Denver eliminates the Raiders uh and stays in the hunt at eight and seven, just the game back of New England, Indy, and LA as far as wild card implications go. New Orleans, Miami. Can Miami stay in the hunt? Six in a row. How about the Dolphins? Won the first game of the year, lose seven in a row, then they won six in a row. Obviously their schedule's been terrible. I mean, geez, Louise. Other than that very impressive road win or win Thursday night against Baltimore, they've had five of these six games at home, which how is that even possible in the first place? And second, two against the Jets, Carolina, the Giants, and Houston. And like I said, the only one on the road was the Jets. I mean, that's just that might be the easiest schedule in NFL history. I mean, if we had the schedule of teams in the AFC West, I mean, we have the hardest strength of schedule, I think, going in this week in the league or at least like the AFC. I mean, I jeez. If we had some of these team schedules, like I said, the AFC East, I, I don't see how we'd win anything less than twelve. We'd probably be like twelve and two right now, honestly. Um, that being said, let's talk last game of the week. Sorry, losing contrast. This is a basic elimination game, both sides really. Eh, New Orleans can stay in it, but Miami, New Orleans, seven to seven. Just let's just take a moment and appreciate the great games that are going on today, whether it be. NFC versus AFC, AFC all, NFC all, divisional, conference battle, or divisional battles, conference, uh, wildcard battles. Terrific games this week, man. 
And you know, the fun part is I'm going to be sitting at home uh, being annoyed by relatives having to answer the same gosh dang questions about how boring college is or how I don't have a girlfriend instead of sitting on the couch, nervously watching the Chargers while also nervously watching other teams that we have to have. We need to lose. Hurts. It hurts. Um, there was ever a day I'd honestly wouldn't be mad about being sick. It'd probably be, you'd probably be Sunday. So yeah, not fun. Uh, God bless whoever gets to be home alone or at a game or something on Sunday, December 26th. Last game though, New Orleans, Minnesota, Miami, going to be a fun game. I hope the Saints, I think, man, this is tough. Because this, look at what they did a week ago in Tampa. Can they shut them down? But, I mean, uh, this is going to be a low-scoring game. I'm going to go Miami just because I can trust their offense a little bit more. I mean, New Orleans' offense is bad. And I think I think the Dolphins, I what I what the reason, it's not really their offense, honestly, per se. It's more just I, I'm confident in their defense forcing some big turnovers that can put their offense in good positions uh, against Taysom Hill. And then put them against put them in good positions against the Saints defense, which will cause Miami to score some points. And that'll set up a huge meeting next week against Tennessee on the road. Then they finish against with the Patriots. So some massive games for the Dolphins, seven wins in a row, over five hundred for the first time since week one. How about that? Uh, so that concludes my predictions for week sixteen. The playoff picture would be as looks Kansas City at eleven and four clinched a playoff spot at or yeah, the Chiefs would have clinch the playoff spot as well then the titans bills and ravens lead their respective divisions at nine and six uh and indy new england and the Chargers are also all nine and six in the wild card position with cincinnati miami denver at eight and seven one game out pittsburgh seven seven and one and then the raiders and the browns at seven eight very bleak that they would have a chance to get in uh if you crunch the numbers they might actually be officially out especially the raiders i'm not sure though you'd have to like i said crunch it uh, on the nfc Green Bay's won the NFC North. They stand alone at 12 and 3. Tampa and Dallas are at 11 and 4. Dallas will play the Cardinals, who are at 10 and 5, and in a tie with the Rams still, who are also 10 and 5 in the NFC West. Both teams losing in Week 16. In my predictions, uh, the Niners are looking good at 9 and 6. Vikings have the tiebreaker over Philly at 8 and 7 due to common win percentage for the final spot in the NFC with the Falcons and Saints at 7 and 8, just one game back. Two games back being Washington and Seattle at 6-9. and nine. They also, like I said, could be officially eliminated. I think Seattle might be. I don't think Washington would be, though. So that's kind of the look at the playoff, predictor, playoff picture after Week 16 in my mind. Um, now we will go to kind of my ending part, and this will be something I'll do very just about every time, and I like to call it the ranking and it's this this week's episode is going to be about my favorite all-time Chargers uh, in my 14 years as a fan. So I put together, obviously, players that played during only my time frame. So guys like Junior Seau, Lance Allworth, they're not there, uh, obviously, since they didn't play. They're great players, but they're not anything. So kind of look in the bracket. And I'll post the official bracket uh, one of these days on my Instagram page, Draft Charge. I may make an official page for the powder blues podcast if it continues to grow and stuff but at this point i'm just going to put on my instagram page because i have content there and followers so i like that so go to draft charge um for any information about this podcast at this point and like i said any kind of stuff that we do like this bracket so i'll put that out one of these days here hopefully uh so i did 64 players 
Uh, as position-wise, it goes receivers the most with 10. As a former receiver, I mean, that's just kind of obvious it's going to be that way. Come on now. Uh, running backs and cornerbacks, there's eight. I also played corner, so they're cool. They always are, all, like, the drippiest players in the league, so that's that's kind of why they're there. And LT's leads the running back. So I, I always wanted I wanted to be a running back when I was a kid because LT. So that's why a lot of running backs, too. Um, but, yeah, it's not just all skilled positions, I'm just going to say it. It's it's everywhere. Uh, defensive line and linebackers actually seven. That's kind of impressive. Safeties as well. I have seven. That's a lot of safeties. Uh, quarterbacks, tight ends each have four, three offensive linemen, and I wish I could say there's more offensive linemen. But guys like Chris Dealman, Marcus McDeal only really played about a season. Um, you know the great guys from back in the day, from the from the glory years. Um, only played. We're kind of at the back end of their careers. Jeremy Clary probably should have been on this list. Actually, yeah, I should have put Jeremy Clary. Not. Just realized I missed a guy, but guys like that, um, we're in the either on the back end, so I didn't put them. And then there, our offensive line was so horrible the years in between that, like none of those guys were ever having a chance. I, if I make a we saver Chargers bracket of all time, I think half the list or more will be offensive linemen over the years. So maybe I should one of these days. Uh, that'll give love to the L line, not in a good way, but. Anyways, uh, fullbacks and kickers, I each have two. Yes, I did put the money badger. Yes, he did lose first round. So don't worry about that. And I had a punter and long snapper. Because you know why? Mike Wint deserves to be on the list, and so does Mike Cyphers. Two all-time greats that were with this organization for a long, long time. I mean, shoot, Mike Cyphers basically won the first ever really Charger game I remember watching. Chargers, Colts, wildcard weekend, 2008. That was the Mike Cyphers game, baby. Uh, Of course he's on this list. So that's how the field goes of 64. Uh, now, I did, to make it fair, I, I took the top 16 uh, players, and then I put them, I you know, on a wheel, and I randomly selected them as far as the first top four seeds in each um, region. And then the other ones I randomized for the last 48, just because, I mean, come on. I don't want – Philip Rivers and LT aren't playing each other in the first round. I just – I'm not allowing that to happen. It's, it's, we got to be fair. Um, so how the bracket goes in the first region, I have Malcolm Floyd as the one I have him beating Mike Wint, and then he's going to play Dontrell Inman who beats him. So I'm a huge Dontrell Inman guy. So this kind of hurt to have him against M80 in the second round. I had M80 winning that. Um, obviously I don't, I love Chenny, uh, but thanks Dontrell Inman, man. That guy was so flipping uh, clutch. The one year he really played the whole season, uh, dominated. He came back then. He traded him to the Bears that one year because we were had a clog at the receiver room, came back and played very well. Love that guy. Great player. He ends up going out in the round of 32, obviously, to M80. Cyphers beats Steven Anderson. I'm a big Steven Anderson guy. I've always been. And now he should be the starting tight If If Chicken Parm's out, he's got to be starting tight end because I'm sick and tired of watching Jared Cook play. Uh, but I had Cyphers beating him. Cyphers was OG long, around for a long time. Uh, Gatesy beats my guy Desmond King. Love Desmond King, but Gatesy, come on. Gates, Gates is going to probably win this region. Gates beats Cyphers. He also beats M80 to go to the Elite Eight. Uh, Melvin Gordon, Mike Wells, one of the tougher first-round matchups. Melvin Gordon would have been like a top-ten player ever favorite, if not for that whole debacle. And then he just really, really fell off fell off of my mind. I kind of got, I don't really care anymore. But the stuff he said about Charter fans and whatnot, he really, really went down on my book. Uh, wasn't pleased. I, I contemplated burning his jersey. Never done that before, as bad as it's gone with some players. Didn't, but, you know, 
Sorry, Melvin. I, I, I went with Mike Will just because of that. I, I couldn't do it. Derwin, Melvin Ingram. That's another one. That's I, Melvin Ingram had heard me to go against him the first round. I probably would have just, to be honest, I probably he would have been probably a top 16 player. And he was close to being one in the first place. But him going to the Chiefs is just so, I don't know. I mean, I know he got traded. Okay, sure. Maybe it was the fact that he came up with a stupid coin flip and won it and then won it overtime a week ago. That kind of hurt. And he just looks really ugly in that uniform. So that's that's why I was fine having him lose to Derwin. Derwin beats Mike Will to go to the Sweet 16, by the way. So, yeah. Uh, Nick Hardwick and Tolbert. Holy, talk about a tough one. Uh, Mikey Tolbert was – oh, he's the GOAT. But Hardwick was awesome. He was the only offensive lineman that doesn't play on the team currently. It's in the first year that's on this list. Uh, I met him in person, actually. He got a picture with me. He was a really nice guy. Uh, I went Tolbert just because – that beautiful belly roll he had when he'd score tutties. And I really miss him. Danny Wooded, Jatavis Brown. I was a huge Jatavis Brown uh, supporter. He's kind of like the Kaiser White, who Kaiser was going in this year, where just because of injuries and stuff, he maybe didn't play much. But every time he got on the field, I love watching him play. And I, I spoke so highly of him, and most people really didn't. really didn't. But Jatavis Brown, man, he have a good rookie year coming out of Akron. Uh, he was a great player. I loved him. He was great in coverage. But obviously, I want Danny Woodhead, one of my favorites of all time. And Danny Woodhead's going to go to the Sweet 16. I picked – oh, this was so tough. I picked Derwin over him just because Derwin's been – is probably going to be around so much longer and stuff. And Derwin's just so awesome on uh, such a difference maker. But Danny Woodhead was the best. He really was. And Derwin Gates, I'm going to go Gatesy just because he's an OG uh, to get to the Final Four. So that's how the region goes there. I'm not going to try to talk a little faster here. Um, now we'll go to Region 2. Tyrell Williams over Isaac Rochelle. Tyrelly. Tyrell is my guy. Always has. Really hurt when he left, especially when he goes to the flipping Raiders. Come on, man. Weak move, but it is what it is. Slater and Corey Toomer. And here's, why do you probably say, who the heck is Corey Toomer? This is another guy that I just randomly loved. Just, he, he just produced. I don't know what it was, but he came out. He made plays. Uh, he obviously had that pick against, uh, against the Bills. as his most famous play on uh, – Nathan Peterman game to go. That was the first pick he had, but I'm going to go brain tumor. Slater, it's his rookie year, you know, so I'm going to go, I'm, I got to go Corey, my guy, Corey Tumor. I think Tyrelli beats him, but uh, that's how it goes. Uh, Lindsley and Tutu. Say, yeah, Ajara Tutu. Are you, oh, just saying his name puts, puts a smile on my face. Talk about a clutch. Uh, this guy, unsung hero. First game I ever remember I'm playing. Houston Texans, what was it, 2010 was the year. Yeah, he had a couple touchdowns in the game. We won that game on the road. And obviously the huge moment he had against the Chiefs. I mean, he just came up clutch. Had an awesome name, everything. Uh, so he beats Lindsley. Lindsley's awesome, but it's his first year. Sean Phillips and Naz, I went Sean Phillips. Sean Phillips is one of my favorite Chargers ever. Uh, I love Sean Phillips. And it hurt that he went to Denver after us. It really did. But I, I was a huge Sean Phillips guy. This was a tough, one of the tougher matchups again. I went 2-2 very close, and I went 2-2 beating Tyrell. So, say I, the 12 seed, that's my big upset of the Elite Eight. Probably the farthest he's going to make it, though. Let's see who else is in this region. Uh, Justin Jackson, Denzel Perriman. I went Denzi. I love both these guys. J-Jack, if he conti- if he if we re-sign him, he'd probably win this, and he'd stay healthy and whatnot. Uh, big fan of him. Best cutback ability I've seen on a running back on this team since LT, which is about the highest praise a guy can have. But I went Denzi. Big fan of Denzi. Got a picture with him. Too. I got a picture of both of you guys, actually. We'll, t- we'll talk about that one day. Uh, LT Sante. I absolutely adore Sante Samuel, and he's going to be probably one of my favorite Chargers ever. 
Uh, I can't wait to see his career, but LT will never not win this bracket. Uh, no matter who goes, LT is not. I'll just say right now, he's going to win it. He, he's LT. He's the reason I'm I'm even talking about the Los Angeles Chargers right now. So LT wins. He beats Denzel, goes to the Sweet 16. Brandon Oliver and Jaleel Adai, tough matchup. Uh, Jaleel Adai was awesome in his first stint until the back end. He had a terrible 2018 season. Uh, but I still have a lot of love for him. I, I picked him over B.O. B.O. Was, had some fun games, but we're going to go with Jaleel. Uh, Joey Bosa, Sharice Rice. Sharice Rice is one of those guys, and I feel like everybody kind of has those guys where fans think he, or he's not that great of a player, and fans hate on him. But for some reason, he's kind of like him. I don't know why. I Sharice Rice was that guy. He wasn't a great. He was a very good player. But I, I enjoyed Sharice Rice. I don't know why. But I did, and he made it in the bracket because. But obviously, I'm going to go Bosa, and the Bosa is going to obviously be Jaleel. He'll lose to LT, and LT will beat CIJ 2-2 to make the Final Four, uh, joining Gatesy. But Sharice Ray, he was just he was that guy for me. Uh, Keenan! Keenan, Kaiser White. I love Kaiser. I already talked about how much the praise I have for him. I'm going to go Keenan, obviously. Legadu, Nene, what a name. Probably the best name, arguably, in the NFL. Him and CIJ 2-2. I mean, that was like... Just saying their names makes them more likable, you know. Versus Clipboard Jesus, Charlie Whiters. Gosh, talk about a tough 8-9 game. This, this is one of those 8-9s where I always get wrong in my March Madness bracket. Um, I went Legadoo. Obviously, Keenan beats him. Keenan's going to make it far. That's that's a fun one. I like that one. Antoine Kaysen and Sprolzy. How about that? Oh, Sprolzy. I'm, I, I go Sprolzy. I was a big Kaysen guy, though. He's, he was more quiet. He's kind of like Quentin Jammer. I was a big fan of those two corners. Uh, they almost made it really in my top 16 as well. But I go Sprolzy. Sprolzy just awesome. And then I go Eck over Daryl Stuckey. Love Daryl Stuckey. Got him, uh, he actually got a, got his autograph at the Viking game I went to a couple years ago. Um, big special teams captain for many years. Great player. But I'm going to go Eck. I go Eck. Sproles might be the toughest matchup there is. I went Eck. Just because he's, he's been around, he signed, he re-signed, he's been around longer. Obviously, loves Sprolzy, but it was kind of a long time ago. And then Keenan beats him. Uh, Damian Square, another guy I just randomly loved. Always produced over Marcus Gilchrist, had that huge play against the Rams. I went uh, Damian Circle, obviously. Eddie Royal, one of my favorite chargers ever. I could talk for hours about Eddie Royal, but I don't, I don't have the time, sadly. Over the Money Badger, Eduardo beats Damian. Uh, Jacob Hester, old school. I have him over Manti Teo, just because. B-Jack, rest in peace, over Adrian Phillips. B-Jack, one of my favorite charters ever, man. When he heard he was gone, that was a tough day. Obviously, he beats Hester. Him and Eddie Royal, incredibly tough. I went B-Jack, and then Keenan over B-Jack. That's two of my favorites ever right there. Um, Last region, Casey versus Nick Novak. I went Casey Hayward, obviously. Love Case. Miss him. Hate that he went to the Raiders, but get released. So, you know. Make your money somewhere. And he, he still shows us support, so I love the man. Hunter Henry over Trank. I love Drew Tranquil, obviously. Uh, also another guy just so underrated, makes plays. But big fan of Hunter. I really miss him as well. Chris Chambers over Chicken Parm. Chris Chambers is that dude. I don't know why. Chris Chambers is a cool dude. I uh, also had that Fantasy Files commercial. Kind of helps him out. Herbie, Quentin Jammer should not be a first-round matchup, but it is. I go Herbie. Herbie's going to beat Chris Chambers. I also had Case over Hunter Henry. Forgot to mention that. And then Herbie beats Casey Hayward, obviously. Herbie, I mean... Oh gosh, he the crazy thing is because how much I just love um, the guys that made me Chargers fans in the first place: LT, Gates, he Phil, and Keenan, guys like that. I mean, he 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 might max out probably his, my fifth favorite Charger of all time, and that's where he is right now. That's that's probably where he maxes out. That's that's this crazy thing. 
guy could win us so many Super Bowls, and I love him to death. But, you know, if he was probably the first quarterback or first player, he'd probably be number one, too. So that's just – I'm just an OG kind of guy like that. Uh, Cromartie Weddle. Weddle really dampered his relationship with us, so I'm going to go Cromartie. Jay Va, Jay Fiva, Jason Barrett. How good he could have been versus Ryan Matthews. Just talk about how both – how good both these two could have been if they could have stayed healthy. Hurts me every day. I go Fiva, and then I, I pick him over Cromartie tough. The fact the Camardi play against the Jets in his last game as a Charger, that's that's the reason I go fever. Uh, it still hurts to this day. Uh, Sean Merriman lights out over Corey, too legit to quit. One of my favorite. I love Corey, but I'm going Merriman, of course. Big Charger guy. Philly versus Easton Stick. Gotta love Easton Stick, but Philly, come on now. Philly beats lights out. Philly beats FIBA. And Philly over Herbie. I mean, talk about it. I will cry the day that those two get to meet each other in person and do like an interview or something. Oh, my gosh. I think all of Charger Nation would be emotional watching that. Um, kind of putting into words how much that guy means to me. Uh, and I have him beating Gatesy in the Final Four. LT over Keenan. I have LT. He's my favorite Charger of all time over Phillip Rivers. Who's yours? Even if you're not Charger, who, who do you remember? Who do you love watching? Uh, I recommend, if you don't know about Ludanian Tomlinson, that he's the best running back to ever play the game. And yes, I will go down my go to my grave saying that. Turn on his 2003-2006 highlight films on YouTube and then come back to me. Because that those those videos right there and the one where with can't be touched in the back, that's the reason I'm a Charger fan. I mean, geez, Louise, watching that guy play with something else. So that's this week's, the first ever edition of the ranking is the favorite all-time Chargers bracket. Obviously, it's not going to be all sportsies. I mean, it's going to be something random. I, I really want to make this diverse. I don't want to do just sports. You see a lot of... A lot of stuff just like that. I don't want to make it just charters, but obviously that's going to be because that's what I know most about. The main emphasis here, at least early on, the goal right now is just to make content about just literally anything. Uh, Last but not least, I plan on ending these episodes with what's just kind of going on in mine, or if I have a guest on the show, what's going on in our daily lives. So like what we're watching for shows or kind of what's happening sports-wise or whatever. Uh, so this one, it's mostly show-wise. I've been watching, I just actually finished all four seasons I binge-watched of Selling Sunset. It's a Netflix show. It's basically a real estate, real housewives type show on Netflix uh, starring in L.A. Uh, and obviously, I mean, I love, I you know, we every time we go to L.A., we look at the Hollywood homes and all that. So seeing those homes on the show just makes you want to live there, obviously, which is obviously one of my biggest dreams. Uh, which is the reason I tuned into the show in the first place. Uh, just so incredible. It makes me kind of got makes me interested in real estate as well. I've always kind of had an interest there. Uh, we'll see as that goes. But I gotta say, the the girl in the show, Christine, I I've never seen someone live so rent free in people's minds. I mean, just just even myself here. The first word out of my mouth uh, talking about the show is her name. I uh, I mean, these chicks. Every conversation, especially specifically in season four. Her name is the first it comes up at some point in that their segment together, whether it's her or it's of other chicks together. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, and no, is it good stuff? No. I mean, they all kind of befriended her in the end. Uh, but still, I mean, it's a reality show. Who cares? Um, you know, like if I was her, really, does she need friends? Probably not. Uh, she lives with a in a million a million dollar house with a guy who's retired at 35. That's how loaded he is. Traveling the world. Uh, with a kid. I mean, is that does it get any better than that? I I don't think so. At that point, I mean, as much as I love my friends, I, I, geez, I, I, I think I'd be okay myself, too. 
just chilling at home with my family or traveling. I mean, kind of sounds like the dream life. No, not going to lie to you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Every single thing they say is about her and about something she's said or lied about, man. It's it's nuts. It's, it kind of reminds me of, and you see it in a lot of shows, you got to have, have the villain. That's just how it goes. Uh, but remember Jordan, what's his name? Jordan Kimball, I think. And the season of The Bachelorette with Becca's season, um, where that one guy, the, the chicken guy, David, every word or every con- conversation he had to her was about him. I mean, that's that's living rent-free in a guy's mind. That's kind of impressive stuff. Like, I'm not an interesting enough person to where someone's going to always be talking about me, you know. I mean, that's, and I, I, I think that is a good thing. I actually, I, I try to keep myself out of people's minds. But if I was on a reality show like they are, I mean, shoot, why not? Why not just stir some drama? You'd probably make extra money, get extra fame. I mean, that's that's the reality business right there. They're smart. And then the show in general, uh, the first couple seasons are really good. It's a lot about real estate, the first couple and whatnot, and then just kind of relationship stuff with the girls. But in the end, the last couple seasons, I mean, it's really all it is is about uh, how this chick said this and what. I, I didn't like it as much. It, it kind of goes downhill in my mind in the end. Some people may differ, but it's it's more like a real housewife show in the end. Uh, just basically whatever reality show gets to once it gets, you know, more and more popular. Um, so finish that up. I, re- I do recommend watching though. Uh, still pretty darn good, and the episodes are like thirty minutes long, so they're not too bad. Uh, but no, I got respect for the Christ- uh, Christine chick, and and I'll say there's been some character development myself watching the show. Usually when I watch shows like this or like The Bachelor stuff, I'll be brutally honest. Uh, usually my favorite chicks on the show, especially when it's like a lot of girls are main characters in it or, you know, in, in my power rankings or whatever, are usually the ones I find that are the hottest. I mean, let's just be honest. I, I think every guy does this. I mean, it's just it's common, just common thing you kind of just do. Your mind just does. Uh, but in this show, I kind of, some of the girls, like the one girl, she was like the hottest one there. And at least early on, she, in the end, her personality is actually pretty good. But right away, she, I thought, I found her very annoying. And I thought to myself, you know, I definitely could never get that girl, but I could never deal with her even if I if I could, I don't think, or personality-wise. And usually I don't think like that. Usually I'm like, this girl's so unbelievable, it doesn't even matter. But no, I mean, I sense character development myself watching the show. Uh, maybe that's just a part of maturing, growing up, age-wise. But it, we'll, we'll see if that translates uh, once this new season of The Bachelor comes up, I think starting in January, so... I'm sure we'll have an episode or whatever about that. Maybe I'll have a guest star. Uh, maybe maybe I'll put it on my mom, actually. Because that's usually I watch the shows with. Um, maybe we'll have her as a guest star or I'm sure some big Bachelor fan or something. Uh, but we'll have to do that for sure when that comes up. No, but character development. I'm seeing it. Proud of myself a little bit. Uh, and then I've also been watching uh, the Star Wars collection again. I started with episode one. I watched The Phantom Menace a couple days ago. The pod racing, that is incredible. Um, obviously, Padme gets introduced, my lord. Um, and this is the third time I've gone through Star Wars, and I've never made it past Revenge of the Sith, Episode 3. Like, the first time I watched, I started with Episode 4. So I watched all six, the first six episodes. Second time, I just like I'm doing this time, I'm starting with one. I have to get past three, the threshold there. So I've only watched A New Hope, and those ones one time. Uh, and I got backlash from my great friend, Levon Schultz. Because he has, that's like one of his greatest movies of all time. But I thought it was boring. It was the first Star Wars I ever watched. I thought it was kind of boring. Now, there's not a lot that happens. It's more like a storyline kind of movie. And I feel like A New Hope. 
And um, so I never really, I mean, I was just kind of, I didn't know what was happening either. So I think knowing the story more, obviously with Darth Vader and all that, it's going to help a lot. I think it'll probably be a lot better. Probably won't be last on my ranks as far as the first six once we do it over. We'll see. Hopefully not. Uh, so that's kind of what's going on in my life. Not too much. Uh, and before this ep- ending this episode, I'd like to give a shout out for sure to Walking the Line. It's a podcast, sports podcast done by my great friends, great buddies that I went to high school with in Mandan. Uh, Connor Seafeld, Sean Seafeld, and Jacob Wine. They do an absolutely tremendous job. Uh, they have episodes weekly. They have about, I think, almost 40 episodes. Uh, I've guest starred a couple times to talk about the NFL, the NFL draft, and then uh, preview the season this year. Uh, but no, they do an absolutely incredible job. Uh, it's very diverse, long, large range of sports. I mean, they had the guests they get on that show, incredibly impressive. I'll tell you right now, I don't think I'll ever get to that level. And that's okay. Uh, and they also influenced me to finally live to my dream that I've always wanted to do and start a podcast. And hopefully we can get, you know, even half to what they do. Um, you know, at this point, like I said, it's just about getting content out, kind of, Feel, the feel out process right now is what this basically is so uh thank you everyone for listening and uh again follow walking the line on instagram and all um anchor apple Podcasts, spotify all those devices and listen listen weekly to their to their stuff so thank you for listening and uh hopefully i'll see you soon at the powder blues